your other host, Robin B. And this is our one year episode of Recording Podcast. We, we have made, made it. it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's kind of wild. <laughs> it is kind of wild. I was, yeah, I was thinking about it this morning and just kind of like, I genuinely, it's difficult to believe that we've been doing this for one year. <laughs> it's like equally insane to think, but also it feels like it could be longer in a way. Hmm. Cause I'm just thinking about like where we were a year ago when we started the podcast and where we are now. And I feel like a million things have happened. Yes, that's true. It has been an eventful we, year to put we it. We were both lately. at inverse. We were both at inverse when we started the podcast, and now we're still both at inverse, and nothing yeah. happened in between. We've come full circle. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It feels like a much much shorter time for me. Like I was thinking about, it and I was like, "Damn, a, a year! We're doing this every week, just about for a full year. That's wild." Yeah, it really has kind of crept up on on me. Uh, I was just like obviously getting very sentimental and I've been thinking mm-hmm. about like how we founded the podcast and everything. And it was all because of you, really. You were the one who like made it happen. Yeah. yeah. Who made you be my friend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that was the purpose of Girl Mode was so that we could become friends. Absolutely. I'd say, I'd say it worked. Yeah. yeah. It's going great so far. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, I, I said this to you beforehand and you're like, I don't know why that would happen, but I think you'd get sappy over this. I was thinking about it. I was like, I am very happy for girl mode because I'm very proud of what we do. I very much like doing girl mode every week with you. But mm-hmm. also, I just love girl mode because it has let me have an incredible friend, uh, my best friend, and I enjoy being able to just hang out with you every week uh, in the podcast and now constantly outside of the podcast. Um, you're amazing. And thank you for doing this with me. Oh, thank you. Thank you for doing this with me. Yeah. I feel the same way. It's like, obviously very fun to like sit around and talk about video games, but it's only fun because I like hanging out with you. And that's like, yeah, I don't know. The biggest benefit of this is like getting to be your friend. It just happens to be on tape. The real podcast is the friends we made along the way. Yeah. So true. So true. I know. I, th- I think about it. It's like, I feel like there's so many things we, we've done. I made the joke that the reason that this started partially is because I made a joke that I was like, I kind of want to buy a microphone, but I have no reason to. Um, if I buy one, will people just invite me on their podcasts? Mm-hmm. Um, and you were like, hey, we could just start a podcast so that, you know, you could do stuff. And I was like, cool. But now we've also both been on podcasts, you know, either separately or as girl mode. <laughs> so it um, worked, yeah. I think one of the highlights for me is doing press start. Yeah. That was, was interesting. <laughs> I feel like it was very early, right? When did we do that? It was this year. Um it was like Yeah. Yeah, cuz it was like right after I like, got laid off. Yeah, it must have been like early March. Mm-hmm. There's no way to check. Yeah, there's no there's no record of this anywhere. Yeah, we were definitely babies then. We've it's it's been a while since then. But yeah, that was a great time. It was cool to like go on to. I mean, it's, it also helps that like Noah and Tori are great and like fun to hang out with, but like um just going on a different show like as presenting girl mode as a thing and like being mm-hmm. able to talk about it as like its own entity was like very interesting. Yeah. 
Wow. This is ours. Girl mode is is our baby. Yeah. So I think we'll just like kind of get into the main event of this episode, um, which we have been begging people to ask us questions for the past like <laughs> month just so we can have something to do uh, this episode. We got a few questions back, so I think it would be fun for us to go through them. There were some good questions in here, and I think it'll be fun to talk about. And yeah, I like totally. not having to come up with ideas myself, so this is perfect. Uh, I'll start off with the first one, which is from Noah at Press Start. Uh, he emailed us, or he responded on Twitter and asked, has recording a podcast where you talk about games every week changed the way you approach games at all? Do you go into games looking for fun things to talk to each other about, or does it all come naturally? Do we just want to read um, Ian's question yeah, at the yeah. same time and kind of answer yeah. them as a, as a bundle? There's another question uh, from Ian that kind of ties into this, which is, Besides the obvious time constraints, deadlines, and embargoes create, has writing and podcasting about games on a regular basis changed your taste at all? Have you gotten into new genres or franchises for the sake of coverage and realize you actually like them? Do you not have time for specific types of games that you used to enjoy? How much does the business of playing games get in the way of enjoying them? Hmm. These questions are maybe more different than I... Originally thought they were. <laughs> I think they're. I think they're related. I think they're. But related. they're definitely related. I think we can. Yeah, we can answer them in a in a one after the other. I can definitely start off with with part of Noah's, which is, I don't think it ever comes naturally, at least, to me. For me, at what, least. What doesn't come naturally? Like figuring out what to talk about. Most of the mm. time, it doesn't feel like it comes naturally. I'm always stressed about it. Um, which kind of goes to Ian's thing also of like, I'm always trying to think of like how I turn playing games into content, uh, because, you know, I made up my hobby, my job, mm -hmm. <laughs> which does inherently take away some of the joy from it. Yes. Uh, but that's, you know, it's a different way of enjoying it. Being critical, totally, totally. uh, critically analyzing the stuff is also fun in its own way. But Yeah. Yeah. I I will often remember um, when I was in high school, my like first year of high school, I had a really great English teacher who I like loved. I would like go hide in his room during like assemblies and stuff and just sit and read books because I didn't want to like, you know, do the real thing. But he was he was a great teacher and he was like very he really had a mission to like teach us to think critically about the things that we were reading and and watching even i remember at one point we had an assignment to watch the matrix and write like a critical essay on that which was great but he he really pushed that idea of like thinking looking at, at things very critically and he i just always remember at one point he was like now i, I want to warn you that like when you after you learn to like critically look at the things you're consuming you won't be able to go back this is kind of a curse i'm placing on you because like it's very hard to turn off the part of your brain that like thinks of, about things critically once it's activated and i just think about that a lot because he's completely right uh and it, it's very much like what you were saying like it's when you're playing a game even if you are just trying to have fun it's difficult not to kind of find those different venues of like oh here's 
an interesting idea I have about this. Here's something that I could talk about at length. Here's how this relates to this other thing I've been doing or whatever. It's, um, it really does rewire your brain in a way to spend yeah. so much time thinking like through a critical lens. It's interesting. I will say definitely that I've always been a very critical person when enjoying art. So even before I was like professionally doing this, I was very critical and I had a very specific taste, but I definitely think it's weird. I think my taste is like even more precise now because I play so much that I very, very minutely know what I like. But that's also because I play so many things now that I would never play. Mm -hmm. Kind of speaking to something that Ian asked, like I try to make it something that I do, which is like review games that I feel like I would never play and never touch. Like I reviewed Need for Speed last year. Mm -hmm. I'm not a racing game person at all, uh, but I had a pretty fun time. Uh, I just reviewed Like a Dragon Gaiden, which is like I've never played the Like a Dragon series. And I played that and I was like, it's fine, but I never would have had a real opinion on it since I had never played it. But I think also to another extent, there's definitely games I don't have time for anymore. I think the obvious one for us is like we rarely have time for Final Fantasy 14, which is like the one game truly that is like for my own enjoyment. And mm -hmm. I just don't get the time anymore. Or like before I wrote about games professionally, I had the time to play like those 50 hour open world RPGs or something. Yeah. Yeah. Final Fantasy 14 is the one that has definitely slipped for me too. Where it's like, it's the one it's kind of the only one that I can turn off that critical part of my brain for. And it, I just don't have any time for it any longer. I think also it's, we've learned to approach games differently because we also have to constantly be like, I'm not going to finish this game. I need to let go of it and move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. but still like love it. Like I think today as a critic, I would never be able to finish like Persona 5 unless I was really like just sitting down and reviewing it. But like, for example, this year, there's so many games that I just am never going to finish that I really liked. I yeah. probably will never finish Baldur's Gate 3, but it was one of the more fun experience I've, experiences I had this year. So it definitely does change kind of everything in how I relate to games. Yeah, totally. One thing that I was thinking was it's it's actually sort of made it harder for me to play games that are meant to be kind of played repetitively. Like whether that's like a roguelike where it is like a structural thing that's built into the game or just the kind of game that I go back to and like turn my brain off with. Like I was playing I started playing a game earlier like I think two well, a week or two ago called Dome Keeper, which is like a a very cool game where you have to like tunnel through the ground to get resources and then use that to like upgrade this like dome base that you have that's being like constantly attacked by monsters. And it was very fun. I was like really enjoying it. But as soon as it kind of, I got into the, the, st the stage where I was just kind of brain off, like doing this thing over and over again, it kind of made it really hard for me to keep playing that because I was like, well, I've sort of seen everything that's going on here. And it's like not really engaging me in that kind of critical way. It, I kind of find myself bouncing off those things more where it's just like games that I'm playing just to pass the time. I kind of feel like I could be playing something that's a little more like 
enriching or a little more like surprising. So at least even if it is only for enjoyment, it's like giving me something new happening as opposed to just like, okay, I've seen this loop and it's just going to happen over and over again. So I think like that type of game has been harder to get into since I've like, you know, been doing this longer. Yeah. For me, the type of game that I very much am quick to move on from, not because they're bad, but just because of the type of game they are is when a game is very like mechanically focused and it just has kind of a core mechanic that is the main thing about it. I can like play it for a couple hours and be like, yeah, I get the gist of the core mechanic. It's neat. It's been fun. But now I need to move on because I don't have mm-hmm. time to just spend hours playing this game just for the same mechanic, despite yeah. it being great. Like I I played Viewfinder like that, which has this really interesting picture mechanic. And I played it for a couple hours. I was like, neat. That mechanic's really, really cool. Anyways, I need to move on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious about the part of this question that is, do you go into games looking for fun things to talk about to each other? Like, is that, is that part of your, you know, what you're thinking about when you're playing a game? Like whether it's things to talk about for the podcast or just even things to write about, like how, if it's not a game that you're specifically, you know, covering for work, like, Uh are you in your head going, oh, what can I turn this into? I think... Uh, that's an interesting question because I think my brain is hardwired now that even if I'm not explicitly covering a game, every game I play, I'm like, is there something here that I could turn into an article? But then on top of that, and I think this just comes from like being friends with you and you also being a critic is I'll play a game and I'll be like, oh, there's this thing that I really want to talk to Robin about just (laughs) because it's like, it was interesting or it was really, really bad. And I want to like talk to Robin about why I thought it was good or bad. And so I don't know. I, yeah, I don't think in that scenario, I'm like explicitly coming in to try to be like, what's the topic? But it's like, I just know that I'm going to want to talk to you about it. Yeah. It's kind of, it's sort of a a difficult level of self-awareness, I think to have to know, like, am I, but I think that's, I think that's largely how I feel too, where it's like, it's not so much that I am going in looking for fun things to talk about, but it's like, if I see something interesting, I think I'm much more invested now in figuring out what's interesting about it. I mean, just to give it, like I was playing Jusant recently, the last game that I reviewed, which is a great game and you should go play it if you can. But, um, you know, it's again climbing this mountain and as you climb it up, you kind of find these little artifacts of like the civilization that used to exist, whether there's like letters or just like abandoned houses and things. And there was like something about that that I really, I liked the sort of um, passive side of that more like the, just the, the way the environments were designed to show that there was a history there. I kind of liked that at first more than the like explicit letters explaining what had happened in the past. Right. And I think before I may have just gone like, oh, well, I like, you know, I just don't like these letters. I just don't like the way they're written. But knowing that it was something that I was going to end up talking and writing about, I think made me do a little more thinking on it and say like, okay, why do I like this more? And it was able to conclude that like, I I like the uh, the sort of sense of history that's provided by the environment that wasn't by the more explicit writing. So I think it's less about like going in to look for things to talk about as it is like, when something strikes me, I'm more inclined now to go like, well, why though? Like, why is that interesting? Why is that good? I will say for me, something that I think being a critic has also done is it makes me more excited to play games that I'm not really going to like. And I, <laughs> I want to clarify, 
It's not because I like being a bitch in my reviews. It's because I think there's something really, really interesting in like as a critical exercise, which is writing about something that you think fails or doesn't click and trying mm-hmm. to explain why there's a disconnect. Yeah. Um, like I always think about my favorite professor, uh, this arts criticism professor I had in grad school who, you know, the the like core thing he said, like right off the bat was like, listen. When you're doing a review, you cannot go in with any preconceived like ideas. You need to go in and your number one goal is to figure out what the art is trying to do. And then once you know what it thinks it is, you can make a judgment on if it succeeds at that or not, but you can't judge it for what it's not trying to be. And so I think like doing that exercise is for for me really really fun. I think we can move on. I mean, we have a few questions. We can't talk ad nauseum about all of them. Uh, Or can we? Or can we? (laughs) I think we've proven that we can. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But should we is the question. And the answer is no. Yeah. So we're going to move on to some of Ian's questions, but I want to read Ian's uh, little uh, preamble to the questions, which is medium time listener, first time emailer, big fan of the show all the same. I love it. Very funny. <laughs> I've, got, I've got three big questions. Okay, collections of questions. Two that are slightly serious and one that's fun. Feel free to answer any, all, or none. We will answer them all. So we, we answer answered the first one, but the next one is, if games were films, they're not, and that's good, but go with me, what is the best short film you've played and why? I love this question. I love this question. <laughs> I, I read it at first and I was like... Damn, I don't know. And then I thought about it for like 10 seconds and was yeah. like, no, actually, this is a great question. Yeah. Gold star to Ian for this question. <laughs> do you uh, do you want to go with some of your choices? Yeah, um, some of your choices is the correct uh, phrasing there. Because like at first I was like struggling to find one. And then as soon as I like thought of the first one, it kind of made the question make sense to me. And then I was like, oh, there's like a million of these. Yeah, so the first one that came to my mind was Greece which is uh, a game that I really love. Like I've I've played it a few times and loved it each time and gotten to write a few times about how much I like it. And it's a very short, like you can play it in like two hours or something. And I think what, you know, even aside from like the length of it, I think why this is a like this game stands out for me as like the short film game is that often like if I'm watching short films, it's I'm more looking for like, vibe than anything else you know like it's if i'm watching something that's going to be 20 minutes long or whatever it's not necessarily for some complex plot it's just for like the feeling that it gives me and greece very much does that like it is a game about the way that it makes you feel to play it it's not about the things that are literally happening on screen uh and so for that reason it's like i think it fulfills that another like one on, on that same level is sayonara wild hearts which like once you you know, play it and you can kind of like go into like the replay mode. It's like 40 minutes to play this game. And it's very much the same where it's just, it's all about the kind of aesthetic and the vibe and just the feeling. And it's just like for those 40 minutes, you were just locked into it in the way that you would be watching a film, you know? Um, I have a, several more, but how do you, how do you have any like answers to this one? Yeah, I have some. It was really interesting to think about also because I was like, Obviously, I do need to think about time. And for games, it's so weird because games can run from like a couple hours to like hundreds of hours. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I feel like roughly five or under is kind of the mark I'm going for. 
Um, the first one is even shorter though, which is he fucked the girl out of me, which is like 40 minutes. I think it mm-hmm. is kind of the perfect short film game because it is just so effective at telling its story and it's eviscerating emotionally. And I love it yes. so much. Uh, the other ones that came to mind were a short hike, mm-hmm. which I think does a really good job of just being a tiny little bite-sized experience. Um, Another one that I thought of was this game Overboard, which I really love. It's essentially a time loop murder game where you are on a crew, you're on like a ship going to America and you kill your husband. And it's the day that you're getting to port. And you're like, if I can get to port and get away with the murder, I'll be okay. And every loop is just you trying to figure out how to get away with murder. Mm-hmm. So, like, each loop itself is like 15 minutes and then the entire game itself is only like a couple hours. It's so good and it's so mechanically fun. It's very much of like that Groundhog Day thing where you get to the point where you're like, okay, I know I just need to, in the first seconds of playing, I can just do this, 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 and then I'm like all set. It's exceptionally fun. Um, Those are like three that stood out in my mind like immediately. Yeah, so I'm I I have a lot. Uh the so the other <laughs> one that came to mind recently that came to mind quickly and I think it's just because I played it very recently, um the Frog Detective series. Those mm-hmm. are all good short films because they like tell like it's kind of the other side of that coin where it's like they do tell like a complete story in a very short amount of time. And they're very like focused on that thing and what they're focused on is just like utter silliness and and it just does it really well. Um it just it it's really economical with its its storytelling because it's it's not telling a complex story, but it is kind of giving you a lot of um, with each character that's introduced, you kind of get them in like one line, you know, um, and it does a really great job of that. Uh, I also started thinking about like uh, to get on our like most favorite sh- soapbox. Like if you want to find short film games, itch is a great place to go. There's a ton of games that people have made that are like literally five minutes long and will be a fantastic experience a couple that came to mind that i've talked about on the show previously waste eater uh which is a game about like the last living human who has been like mutated to eat nuclear waste uh it's just like the end of their life it's like a five minute long game honestly like there are some in our little uh actually i was gonna say probably like everything in our little list yeah, so I'm, many yeah short... I'm just going to go ahead and say look at that list because there are a few that we've talked about before that are on there. There's so many short visual novels that I really love that could go on this list, like yeah. anything from Milky Lemon, who I always shout out totally. about their work. But yeah. Yeah, visual novels are a good place to look for this. And actually, tabletop games, I think, are a really interesting way to look for this because I think for a lot of folks, like tabletop games means something like D&D, where it's like you play for 10 years or whatever but there are also a lot of games that are explicitly made as single session games so you play it one time and that's the whole thing two that i want to shout out as like group games there's a game called dialect which is a game about a an isolated community forming a a, its own dialect so you throughout the course of play you like create these words that have very specific meanings for your community and then the game is about watching how those words evolve over time and how they give you like a new way to speak to each other. I played this game. I've played this game one time. 
It was one session that I played with complete strangers online. The game is supposed to take like three hours. We ended up playing it for like six because we were liking it so much. And at the end of the session, like we started as, you know, four complete strangers. And by the end, we were all like crying to each other over the Mm -hmm. Zoom call. Like it's very it's an incredible game. There's another one called The Queen is Dead, which is uh, I think another interesting choice for the short film thing, because it sort of comes in at the end of a story. You are this kind of this queen's retinue. The queen has died and you are guarding her body as it goes to be sort of like laid to rest. And the game is about filling in your backstory like through this series of questions. So it kind of feels like a series of flashbacks, which I can I kind of see in my head as a very like good structure for a short film. Um, and I'll give a more general recommendation to look at solo, like journaling games. There's a ton of good ones. I mentioned last week, uh, Takuma Okada has made a lot of games on this kind of like alone. Uh, I forget, I think there's a name for the system. I can't remember, but the, the game, like the big game is like alone among the stars and there's lots of spinoffs of that. Um, but there are so many games out there that are meant for you to play in like an hour or so on your own. And I think those are a great way of like kind of crafting your own short film in that way. So, yeah. I can't believe I forgot about this because I think it's actually probably the definitive correct answer, uh, which is Journey as far as short film games or like honestly anything from that game company. Uh, I mean, not Sky, Child of Light, because Mm -hmm. it's kind of a different thing, but flower flow journey they are all very much vibe forward experiences so i think definitely those yeah that is like a that's like a single session game as well like it feels like it's made to be played in a single session too yeah um just to give another like very recent shout out i'll just say very quickly slay the princess which i played recently you you don't have to play it in one sitting because it, it's kind of long it's a bit long for that it's like three to four hours but i did play it in a single setting and i think it's a great game to do that with if you get the chance. Mm-hmm. And then Ian's last question, which is kind of the fun one, and I actually really like this, is mm-hmm. you're put in charge of designing a new class for Final Fantasy XIV Oasis Cole, the follow-up, follow-up expansion to Dawn Trail set in a new arid desert region. What is the class? Cheers and thanks for a great show. I have an answer. Good. I'm glad. This is a (laughs) wild answer and it's like it would never work because it's the class that I have in mind is so specific to like high end group content, but I think it would be cool as hell. Mm -hmm. Here's the pitch. I don't have a name for it or anything, but here's the pitch. It's a new healer. And the way that this healer works is that they heal the party by giving up their own health. And so the way it works in party mechanics is that it really relies on good relationships with your co-healer because your Mm -hmm. co-healer is probably going to be one of the only people who can help keep your health up. And obviously there would be like some kind of skills where you can like replenish stuff depending on maybe some of the damage you're doing. Um, But I think it's it would be so fascinating to add that kind of mechanic. I understand that that is wild and maybe a little too difficult but Mm -hmm. like as someone who mains healer um i really love healer jobs that kind of give you more to do um which is why i you know changed from white mage to astrologian because i feel like astrologian just has more active things to think about and i love the idea of like just 
putting a little more pressure on on yourself. Um, I yeah. think it would be so fascinating. It's it's such a specific, you know, it only works for specific things. Like this would be for just high end like raid content and trials, but I think it would be awesome. Yeah, that sounds great. That was I, I have a like I guess conceptually similar answer, which is like when I read that like as I was thinking about my answer for this, I was actually thinking a lot about some of the stuff that I read about Final Fantasy XI over the last week, especially the kind of like more like academic stuff about it, about mm-hmm. how it like influ- how its design influenced its community, and it did make me really start thinking about like the idea of those sort of hyper specific classes where it's like this can only work if you are like in sync with your group. Right. Um, and the one that I was, that I kind of came up with was a, uh, given the, uh, the, the arid desert design, I'm kind of picturing it as like a dervish, like a, you know, having like two little simtars or something, but I'm imagining it as a kind of support class that can give like different situational buffs at the beginning of a fight. So like saying like for this fight, we're going to have uh, we're all going to have a defense buff. For this fight, this type of damage is going to be increased against the boss. Something that like makes the whole um, can kind of direct how the team is going to play for this particular encounter, and requires everyone to work in concert. Like whether that's giving buffs or de- like I, I I have talked before about wanting more another like debuff class. And yeah, whether it's like buffs or debuffs, like something that forces the entire team to go like okay. This is we're going to change our tactics because we're now more effective in this one particular way. I think that would, you know, kind of fit with your like self-sacrificing healer archetype. Like it would kind of need to be in a game that's a little more about that than there currently is. But it's I don't know, like we talked about before, like these are high end classes like it would be my kind of like meta you know, comment that I would want to see is like more classes like that, more classes that acknowledge that you are playing this as a high end player and it's assumed that you have more skill doing this so they can like kind of give you more, it's more challenging to play, you know, and and less self-sufficient. I think that is generally the direction that I would love to see new classes go. Another more general answer to this, which isn't like directly a class, but something that I do think would be neat, especially like now that we're so far in Final Fantasy 14 is mm-hmm. in Final Fantasy 11 there was a mechanic where you could have a secondary job class and like kind of mix and match skills yeah. from different classes to create really weird combinations like you could have like a tanky healer mm-hmm. like just weird crap like that and obviously that is like opening up a can of worms for the developers like there's it's impossible to deal with almost all those like infinite permutations but Mm -hmm. it also sounds kind of great yeah what if the okay here's the another one that i just thought of they should have a uh, a class that they model after yojimbo where your your party members have to pay you to increase your damage (laughs) (laughs) oh man that'd be neat yeah uh to move on to the next one yeah yeah do you want to read this one out yeah uh yeah so we got an email from cassandra asking i had a dream recently in which i was playing a mech game on console that had a mechanic where my partner was playing a puzzle game on her phone that controlled my power allocation do you have any dream game mechanics either literal or figurative that you would love to see show up in games that have not existed or have not been implemented to their full potential 
Uh, I want to see that one. Yeah, first off, <laughs> that's that a really sounds, good one. That sounds great. That sounds great. <laughs> Somebody make this game. Yes. Ah, <laughs> oh, I mean, the one thing we that immediately jumped to mind that we just joke about. This isn't like a real answer to this because I need to think of a real answer. Is that we just want a um, seventh heaven bar simulator for Final Fantasy VII? Yes. I don't remember why, but this was one of the first ideas that we wrote down for an episode. <laughs> was just describing our like coming up with our dream mm-hmm. our dream game and it was the seventh seven bartending simulator i do think i don't know i mean i think that is actually a good one like i have kind of for a while i have like a oculus quest which i like is basically a beat saber machine for me but i have wanted to like a really good like bartending or like barista sim for them like some of those exist but i think they're more in the vein of like sort of goofy physics simulators like that's just sort of like chaos generation generation but i think I, I would love to see one that is about the kind of actual like the mechanics of of doing that stuff like i've spent way more time as a barista in my life as i have doing like literally any other job and so i really like i i, I like that kind of the physical aspect of it of like moving around i've, I've always thought of the like work of being a barista is like a dance you have to do where you're like constantly moving. You're constantly keep like doing something with both hands. You have to be aware of like where you are in space and what's going on and your timing has to be perfect on everything. And I think that would just be such a great thing to really capture in particularly in a VR setup, but I think it could work either way. Something that I, I don't fully know what this would be, but something I think about a lot is um, because obviously I'm a Yoko Taro fan girl and I'm obsessed with everything he does is <laughs> games that like have some kind of tangible cost to the player to progress. And the key thing I'm thinking about is like how when you get to the when you like do the the true ending of Nier and Nier Automata, you have to give up your save file. Mm-hmm. And there's something that I really like. Where it's like the idea of a narrative game, like a very story focused game that has some kind of semi permadeath for the player where Mm -hmm. you like go through the story. But if you die, you have to like give up that save file and it gets kind of like pushed away and you have to restart. But maybe there's some kind of like sign that that journey still did happen in this world. You just can't have access to it anymore. Yeah, Um, I like that. Because there's something I think about a lot is in the original Nier, where it's obviously you start, you put in your character name, and that's what your save file is under, and then you get the true ending, and you basically sacrifice yourself as the narrative thing, and it deletes your save file. And the next time you start a game, the game will not let you use the same name you used on that save file. That's good. Which is fantastic. Something that I don't... This is a bold thing to say, and this isn't really relevant to this conversation <laughs> something that i really don't like actually is in the uh remake for near they made it so that you can undo that basically you can get the true ending delete your save file not be able to do that name but then if you play a little bit more people found out there was actually a secret new ending that would be like it would unlock the memory of the player and of the past mm-hmm. and it would be like you can have your save file back and i'm like no, don't do that. Take it away. Let the players suffer. I like games that have some kind of weird 
large overarching meta like asynchronous multiplayer uh just cuz like i mean again i'm thinking about near i'm thinking about how it's like mm-hmm. a global group project to like help players win and i love that or games that are very again games that are super inconvenient to the player like i want more <laughs> games that do things like um oh man what is it called you might know the name of this game. I can't think of it right now, but it's um it's that game where you're essentially you are the servant of like a mountain god and the god is asleep for like a thousand years or something. Oh, or like the longing. Thousand, yeah, the longing. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you can it's like a certain amount of real-time days. And basically the whole thing is that your goal is to wake up the king mm-hmm. and you can do that by like finishing puzzles in the game and that will progress the clock further. Or you could just sit around and let the real time clock, you know, count down. And when it finishes, they'll just wake up. I love things like that. Yes, that's great. I actually have not, I've really wanted to start the longing for a while. I just haven't yet. Um, But I really, I really love that idea. Um, on your like asynchronous multiplayer thing, I think that's a big one for me too. Like I didn't really have a well-formed idea around that, but there's things like, um, Demon Souls world tendency where when enough players like did certain things, it would like change the game for everyone, which I don't like the implementation in, in Demon Souls. I think it's a really interesting idea, but I think it's mostly used to kind of make things more difficult and just like, you know, I think that's fine, but I think there are definitely more interesting things you could do. I think like Death Stranding touches on this a lot, like structures that you build showing up for other people. Or the Matrix Online, which literally like let players decide how the game would end by what they did. Bring that back. That shit fucks. That's amazing. Yes. Uh, In terms of like mechanics that have not been implemented to their full potential, I think Dragon's Dogma is full of them. Like, shut up. Can't <laughs> the, roll um, my eyes hard enough. Yeah. Like the, I think I'm sure that I've talked about this before, but there's this idea of like you, you make your pawn, which is kind of like a secondary NPC character who helps you out. And then those characters appear in other people's games. I really would love to see a system like that where you can actually encounter other players on like a very limited basis. Like if you're, you know, maybe having a fight with this creature on the side of a road, other people could essentially see you in their game and decide to help you or not i think a lot of the stuff that i'm interested in would be that kind of like multiplayer in passing thing where it's like you're not going to group up and go play the whole game together but you can have this little encounter that lasts 15 minutes and then maybe you never see each other again or maybe you see each other again in a week you'll pass each other again on the road i think a lot of that stuff though depends on this makes me actually i think of a um book of travels again which we've talked about like wanting to play before because all of this stuff is like there i think book of travels is such an ingenious idea but that and like all of these ideas as well i think rely on a player base that is going to take the narrative of the game and the the experience of other players seriously and like not try to break that that sort of pact. And I think that the the culture of most online games right now is explicitly about sort of transgressing that, like either like making fun of serious moments or trying to fuck things up for other people. So I think those things would be very difficult to implement just because of 
the way that people actually play these games. Another thing for me that I think could be brought back or used to more potential is I think about like game worlds that are just kind of very much they just exist and there are things to do in there, but it's not as railroaded as a lot of modern games. And I was actually thinking about this because of Final Fantasy XI, which as far as I understand it, Final Fantasy XI was this very kind of like broadly just open thing where you would just go around and figure out how to do stuff. And one of the instances of that is like how dungeons worked, which is that dungeons weren't like instanced things like um, in Final Fantasy fourteen. It was literally just like a space and you would have to basically like go around and be like, hey, do you want to go travel to this area and go through and mm-hmm. do it so we can figure shit out? I love the idea of that. Another thing that I was thinking about recently, because I just played like a Dragon Gaiden, uh, and this is something I actually really, really love about it, is the way that it uses its environment to basically circumnavigate the need for like player ease of navigation through just like basic menus, because the city itself is kind of like a travelable menu where it's like, oh, do you want to go play these mini games? Okay, walk outside of your like home base walk down the street, take a corner, go in literally into the building, up the elevator, and then you can go play darts. Or like, you know, instead of just buying from a shop window that's like super just simplified, it's like, okay, go walk to the convenience store, go into the convenience store, pick out the items, like things like that. I just love this weird complexity of showing game mechanics that we're so used to being so simplified in a more kind of like complex um diegetic way yeah i've thought before about the idea of like uh, uh a, a more diegetic inventory like rather than going through an inventory menu and pick out things like visually represent you like looking in your pack for you know being able to pick out things kind of visually as opposed to just scrolling through endless menus which i think that comes about from me often feeling discouraged from even using items because i'm like i don't want to go to this fucking menu and mess around in it i want to keep playing the game mm-hmm. and also since you uh this just made me think of since I just played Jusant, the idea of I really like the mechanic for climbing in that game of just like rock by rock. You literally have to like control each individual handhold that you do. And I just think it's really well done in that game. But I think there's a ton of room for those mechanics that are explicitly about traversal and movement, like a Death Stranding, again, to bring it up, like has a lot of that stuff about shifting weight and things. Uh, I think just an, like an incredibly granular uh simulation of movement in that way is really fascinating and could be expanded on in some interesting ways i'm just sitting here and i'm like we're so gonna play final fantasy 11 we i really (laughs) i've been thinking about it a lot i've just been thinking about what if we what if we played final fantasy 11 what if we stopped recording right now and went and played final fantasy 11 yeah oh man uh so our next question is from unless you have anything else to say on that no, just good question. And the mechanic that you brought up, Cassandra, sounds great. And I would yeah, love to play that. that you know, that actually reminds me of, did you ever play, there was a game called, ah, shit, what was it called? It was like Space something. Invaders? It was a game that you would play on your phones. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I made a joke, was, but whatever. Oh, what did you say? You were like, it's a game, Space, and I went, Invaders? 
Yeah, it's Space Invaders. The game that I would love to see is one where there's like invaders coming from yeah. space. Uh, no, but sorry, continue what you're actually saying. It was a game that you played as a group in person, but on your phones. And the, the conceit was like you are all driving a spaceship, but everyone has different. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Do you remember I what this was called? I cannot think of what it's called, but I do know what you're talking about. Yes, I think that was very cool. Mm-hmm. Um that just reminds me of this thing, this this async, this not asynchronous, I guess, this sort of divided thing that Cassandra talks about here about one person playing one game, another person playing like basically a different game, but affecting that first one. You know what I think I'll that's say? Fascinating. You know what I'm going to say? No. What are you the Nintendo say? Wii U, man. Oh, <laughs> yeah. it was it was like, doing the new stuff. Wii U. We need to bring back the Wii U. They were yeah. Let them cook. They were onto something. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, so on to our next question. Uh-huh. This is from Kat, who asks or says and then asks, I couldn't stop thinking about Dragon Quest during your conversation about retro-inspired games. Ever since I played Dragon Quest Eleven, the Dragon Quest series is what I turn to when I want turn-based comfort food, usually instead of newer games, because... Well, none of them can love, live up to Dragon Quest for me personally. So here's my question. What franchise series is, at least for now, irreplaceable to you, whether for personal meaning or quality? Thanks for the great show. Thanks I'll for the great stop. question. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I think the obvious answer for us <laughs> is Final Fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> And it is just that thing of like, it's got its hits and it's got its misses, but there's always something kind of to come back to. And it just, it just is so special in that way. Um, It just has the vibe. Yeah. Despite how much we've like shit talked it. um, (laughs) It's always doing interesting things. Like Mm -hmm. not to keep talking about Final Fantasy 11, but like that was a franchise that was like, what if we just made an MMO? Yeah. And that's. Awesome. What if we made like what if we broke the basic tenets of our entire series? Like that's that's bold. It's really interesting. I'm trying to think of like other ones for me. I mean, the other ones that I can think of are franchises that are kind of like over and done. Mm-hmm. Um for the longest time, this isn't quite a franchise, but it's a developer, which I think is relevant to the question. Um because that's a lot of what our answers are, honestly. I feel like we are going to have similar answers yeah. on this. It used to be, for the longest time, it used to be Naughty Dog for me. Because hmm. I, w- I grew up playing Jack and Daxter, and then I loved the Uncharted series. And then the first Last of Us, like when I first played that, I really, really loved it. Um, now I am, you know, a critic and I have a lot uh-huh. of different opinions um yeah. and thoughts on how that place you know treats its workers but it used to be naughty dog but now i would say as far as developers go that i mostly kind of trust implicitly super giant mm-hmm. for one uh i know one of your answers yeah i don't even need to say it if we're going with developers, of course, I'm a big sicko for analgesic productions. Yeah. They're, yeah, and I would say for me, that's like me, personal meaning and quality. I There's like literally nothing else that, that scratches the same itch for me, like, or even comes close. 
I would say on yours, like a series that's like kind of probably over. Like, I think the Oddworld games, the the first couple of them hold a really special place in my heart. Like, I know there was a new one that came out like last year that I wasn't supposed to be that great. But those early games for me just feel like something that like just can't be replicated. Uh, And I think it's I don't know, it's, it's kind of nice sometimes to just have those be like part of the past and not necessarily need a new one and just be able to appreciate it for what it was. Mm. Oh, obviously Yoko Taro for me again. Uh Uh-huh. I'm trying to think of series. Yeah. I feel like I don't like get that deep into just, yeah, I don't know for whatever reason, like the games I like don't tend to get like direct sequels. I think for us at least it's because we seem to get very tired of franchises that are just kind of repetitive every entry it's true i at least for us i find that like the games that we care about that we feel like are doing more interesting things are very much like we're going to do a thing we're going to see if we can do that well and then we're going to move on to our next new project whereas like the idea of i think part of the issue for me of this question is that the modern gaming landscape has transformed franchise into such a kind of empty thing creatively yeah, for it me. Means I mean, fan- franchise in the fast food franchise yeah. sense. Like, go read my Assassin's Creed Mirage review. I basically throw uh-huh. it out there, but I'm kind of like, franchises to me are so tiring because they just are churning out this product that is mostly for just the general, like, middle ground consumer that it will make them money and it's mm-hmm. not trying to do things interestingly um yeah what i thought you were going to say for developer was the dearly departed japan studio god uh, that was I a studio mean, that like that feels like you know eco to shout at the colossus yeah. to last guardian feels like a series even though it's not in name like it, it it's very much playing with a lot of the same ideas like Idea, like, like narrative ideas and like kind of mechanical I mean, ideas so like yeah team ego definitely within japan studio but japan studio just like on a broader yeah, scale sure. too because like gravity rush tokyo jungle mm-hmm. um that game rain i told you about that one time that game rain yeah <laughs> based on wet rain yeah um i'll say another if a series like maybe the closest i would get is um i know it's it's only I only like two of the now four games that exist in the series, but um, Torchlight feels like a very special series to me to the, like I, I liked the one a lot. And then the second one was like a really interesting iteration. And then I think like the third one kind of lost its way, but it was still at the point where I was like, ah, I know if I play this enough, maybe I'll find something in here to like it just because of the quality of it. Did you ever play Hob? No, it's by Runic. It's by the developers of Torchlight. It is a third person like action, like puzzle platformer type game. I really like it. And I I don't think it got terribly great reviews, but I think it's a really special game. So I would throw like that iteration of that developer in there as well. I really want to look. I really want to find I really want to give this this question a real answer and like find a series like a currently going series that's not Final Fantasy. Yeah. I mean, Dark Souls was that for me, but Dark Souls is over. Like, and, you know, From Software has the kind of same thing mm-hmm. where it's like basically making one long series with different names. Um, as much as I didn't like Fire Emblem Engage, I will say like Fire Emblem is a series that I, I think is generally 
I will always be excited to hear about a new one coming out because I think they do a lot of that, like kind of interesting iteration on them. I'm going to, I'm going to like look through my steam library now. I I feel like it's, (laughs) there must be some series that I like. Allegedly. I must like video games, right? Where else would I spend (laughs) so much time playing them? Oh, you know, one that I, uh, who knows if it'll ever, it could come back now. Who could say, but the, um, the shadow run series from harebrained schemes, Mm -hmm. now that they are cut loose from paradox, I don't know if things are going to get like better or worse for them who could say but i would love for them to do another shadow run game that's another series that does really well at like iterating on the same idea without it starting to feel stale so i really hope that it comes back but the ones that exist at least so far i think are are wonderful i also started looking through my steam library because i was like surely there's gotta be things (laughs) that i like um I didn't originally think of this, but technically it's still a surviving series because they're going to make another one. Dishonored for me, Mm, big time. I really liked the first game. And then I think Dishonored 2 is like one of my favorite games ever. And allegedly uh, they are making a third, hopefully officially sometime soon. I would fucking love that. Um, You know what is a series now? Citizen Sleeper true but the second one's not out yet we can't make judgment we don't know if we like the series if we look at the episodes as their own games we can call it a series oh yeah for sure uh the other one that i can't believe i was just blanking on is persona obviously for me. oh yeah of course yeah oh i mean uh, yeah see mine are like like uh, yeah i don't know (laughs) like dragon age but i only like some of them and like the elder scrolls i love one of them and think some of the other ones are okay yeah i guess maybe i'm just not i I just don't like any series stop at one that's that's our lesson yeah Uh, that's why we'll never make a sequel to girl mode (laughs) oh okay uh on to our next questions you think yeah the next question is from zoe and she asked to be a non on one of these, and I'm just not going to because it Rude. doesn't matter. Yeah. I don't care. Uh, I don't fine. respect her. So, oh, God. <laughs> if you decide this needs to be cut, you just send me a text. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm going to start with the real question and the joke question. The mm-hmm. real question is what's a game that you regret not finishing, but you know you still probably never will finish it? I like the way she worded this because i'm trying to think of like a game i regret not finishing not a game that like i just wish i could go back to but a game i regret not finishing Mm -hmm. that is interesting because i had i had an answer for a game that i like never finished and i know i won't but i kind of wish that i would which is final fantasy 13 yeah because I really want to know, like, see the rest of the story, but I don't want to play the rest of the game. But I don't know if I would say I regret not finishing it. Or, mm-hmm. yeah, regret not finishing it, though. I, and I'm going to try to rectify this soon, I think, but I really regret not finishing Bloodborne the first time I was playing it. Hmm. I think as I've talked about on the pod before, I've mentioned to you, I it was the first from software game I ever played. And I played it a bunch and then I just stopped one day. And I think I just was like done. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But now, years later, I have found out that essentially I was two bosses away from the end of the game. And I regret not finishing finishing it because like as I've grown critically and stuff, I also look back to the time I have spent with Bloodborne and I think of it very fondly. And I think there's a lot mm-hmm. of incredible things about that game. And I really regret not giving myself that complete experience. Yeah. I The same thing happened to me with uh, Dark Souls 2. I stopped playing at one point because I got too frustrated and then realized that I was like also like two bosses from the end and like ended up replaying the whole thing in that time. I think my answer might be, this is not exactly it because I I would like to go back and finish it at some point, but Armored Core 6, which just came out, like it's still, you know, it's not that it's that old, but there was a period of like a couple of weeks after it came out where people were like, really hyped about it and i heard a lot about how oh you need to play a new game plus because stuff gets really weird there which i still think there's a good chance i'll go back and experience that but just being in that kind of it's been a really long time since i have played like a game that was that big at the time everyone else was and i do kind of wish i mean honestly i could kind of say the same thing for elden ring where like there was so much it was all anyone could talk about for a little bit and like to be like able to experience the ga- the full game in that period feels really exciting. So they're not quite the same because I would like to go back. Maybe I will go back and finish them, but I do kind of regret dropping off when I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of any other games. I don't know. I feel like Bloodborne's the one for me that like immediately sticks out. Yeah, I feel like for me, it's rare to have that thing where like, I wish I had played this game at this particular time, you know, mm-hmm. like you could always go back and, and finish a game you never finished. And I don't think that's like regretting not finishing a game. I think that's just, you just didn't finish it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And the second question, uh, which is our last question, and I think it's good to go out on a joke because it's just so apt, which is Zoe wants to know, have we considered getting good at gaming? No. 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 Never. Easy. I don't. Yeah. Why would yeah. I get good at it? It's not worth it. I don't have to get good at it. Yeah. So easy mode is for. That's what cheating is for in Elden Ring. That's what mods are for. Exactly. Yeah. So I was thinking about this, and I know, sh- and I know that it's a joke, <laughs> but I do actually have an answer, and that's playing Final Fantasy fourteen. Yeah. Like when I started doing high end stuff with my FC. And it got to the point where, like, my performance actually had an impact on, like, how this played out. Like, it was not just beating the game. It was, like, we as a group can come together and do this difficult thing and get, like, a cool, like, amount or whatever as a reward. And, like, I don't know. I think there's something really interesting about that. Like, having that sort of group pressure to like be able to do well not in a competitive way but in a like we can all help each other out here kind of way that actually really did make me like at the the time that i was playing and raiding regularly like i was really focused on like getting good at that game Mm -hmm. because i like wanted to be a good team member you know and i think that like that's the one that comes to mind the most the game that like i actually felt inspired to like i want to do well at this i definitely agree especially you know, every role has that. And like, as a healer, I feel that very much. And mm-hmm. just being like, I need to learn how to like be very efficient about this and do things well and all that. Um, the other real one for me is that I always want to 
really sit down and try to get good at fighting games. Yeah, you mentioned wish, this before. I was thinking about this in this yeah, in this question too. I wish I like could sit down and have the time to do it. It's something that I've always wanted to because I'm like, I am so fascinated by fighting games. I very much enjoy playing them casually. I really love watching tournaments and reading about the, you know, the complexities of fighting games. I've just never been able to make that jump to like mm-hmm. teach myself. And I know if I really tried, I'm sure I could, but that is like the thing that I wish I could get good at. Cause it, yeah. it's, it's just that brain. It's, there's something clicking in the brain of being like, I'm just going to learn <laughs> yeah. the intricacies of all of this. And I love that. I'll say actually my other one would be Overwatch. I think that's the only competitive game that I've ever actually felt like I want to get good at this. Like mm-hmm. I want to be able to like carry us, you know? Yeah. Um, which I think is a similar impulse to the Final Fantasy 14 thing, because it's like I always do supports in like every class. And there's just something very satisfying about like that kind of like you know, backline support role, like a good one of those can like really save your ass. And I think it's like, it's just a a very fun role to be fulfilling. Yeah. Uh, That's all for the questions. I actually have a question that I came up for you. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. Which is, and I don't know how you're going to answer this or if you even want to, but uh, what has been your favorite episode of girl mode? Oh my gosh. Or like, um, a couple top choices that you really, really love. Like if someone was like, hey, I want to listen to the podcast and I'd love to just like start off with a really interesting episode, or like one that you think is the best, what would you pick? Wow. Good question. I'm going to pull up a list of all mm-hmm. our episodes <laughs> so I can remember what they were. It was an interesting thing to think about in my head because... We very much have like two different styles of episodes, which is like we have our very fun, laughable, kind of like comedic ones. And then we have our like utterly serious ones that are incredibly depressing sometimes or just like Mm -hmm. really intense. And they're very different. Um, But yeah. Yeah. I would say some favorites. The the X-Men episodes are definitely favorites of mine. Those are so fun. <laughs> I love driving you to the brink of insanity as yeah. you try to educate me about the X-Men. Um, I love those ones. I think the episode we did about Final Fantasy 16 that spiraled out into this like unexpectedly huge topic of why reviews are often terrible. I think that's one that like it snuck up on me how much we had to say about it and like how Mm. deep we were able to go on it. Um, I'm really like actually really proud of that one. That's the thing is like it's I think the question is different. Which one do you like versus which ones do you recommend? Because I wouldn't tell someone like go listen to these episodes of the X-Men to get an idea (laughs) of what we're like. It's more about what you like is kind of really what I want. Yeah, I think also I'm, I'm still very happy with our the episodes that we did about um, when Life After Magic and the Citizen Sleeper episode came out at the same time, we did an episode talking about both of those. And I just really loved having that discussion because it was like games that we are both like pretty um, only high on, you know, like we only have good things to say about them, which is rare for us. And so it was just fun to kind of like dig into it in that way. Oh, you know, the episode where we talked about the last of us TV show and the near automata show was really fun. Cause it was just like a very different thing for us. Like we're not 
TV critics. So it was cool to like put that, you know, put those, uh, that perspective on it. Oh, and then I guess I always think of our first, like what we did the end of last year where we, we swapped games. We did Signalis and Stephanie. That was such a fun one because like we each got to talk about a game that we loved Mm -hmm. And then it was also getting to fight with you about Stephanie was really fun. I really loved being able to talk about our own perspectives on both games. Yeah. I think that one felt really special, too, because when we we kept finding these like weird parallels between these games, like yeah. they're very different games, but they were getting at some very similar ideas. And it's th- that entire like none of those things would have occurred to me mm-hmm. if we hadn't been like specifically like playing these games in conversation with each other. Um, and I think that's just a cool thing to see, like these things that could seem completely disconnected, but if you look at them through the right lens, it's like, Oh, actually there's a lot of similar themes going on here. So yeah, I don't know. That's a big, that's a big list of mine, but how about you? A few of the ones that I really love is I definitely still stand by. I think our Signalis and Stephanie episode is just like so great. I felt like it was also like for me, it was one of those episodes where I felt like, it was one of the first times I was like, oh, my God, I think we really killed it. Mm-hmm. And like, we've, yeah, we've yes. really hit our stride now, like when we did that episode. Um, I think the Final Fantasy 16 one, like you mentioned, another one that I really like is I'm really proud of our Hogwarts Legacy episode. Um, Same. It's just that's a it's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, I'm very proud of a lot of the tougher ones. Um yeah. I'm very proud of the episode we did when Waypoint got shuttered. We had a really good conversation, I think, about just like the state of games media. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think you're going to like hate me for this, but I I still, I there's something that I feel fondly, I feel fondly of the episode we did after you got laid off. Not, yeah, not those because, are like that one. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Not because I was happy that, you got laid off, but like. Yes. Those ones that you mentioned are all ones I'm very proud of, but but not ones that I would necessarily tell people to listen to as their first episode. Yeah. But yeah. I, I agree with you, though. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I cut you. What are you saying? No, no, no. I, it's just it was one of those episodes where I was just like very I was still very like I was incredibly happy that I got to be doing the podcast because it meant in that moment that I got to still be around you. I also think you were just like really good in it, like despite having been laid off, you were just like very honest about the situation and you made a lot of great bigger points about the industry um yeah that nobody should have had to do after they had just gotten laid off yeah i mean as yes as horrible as that situation was it it, there is a a, i do kind of have a sense of like you know it does it does feel really special to be able to have had the opportunity to like really be extremely raw on on the show and like I do, I do kind of feel, feel proud of us for tackling that in like, there is nothing at all like euphemistic about that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like we're it, like, it's very head on, like here is our problems with this thing that we have like, you know, saddled ourselves to. Um, I don't know. I really, I, I can't, I, I, I think we have talked to you about a little bit about this before, but I really like, I rem- I have this kind of fond feeling for like when podcasts first started to be like a medium that people were really like starting to make, 
it was a sort of like wild west feeling to it where like there was no like networks there was no like ads there was no sponsors or anything like that and it was just literally like a couple of people with microphones saying what the fuck came to their mind and there was just like a weird experimental quality to a lot of the stuff that i listened to back then and i just really i feel really happy that even though it was like one of the most traumatic experiences of my life that i was able to just be like completely unfiltered and saying you know being like achingly sincere about it um i don't know i i like the idea of just kind of like throwing yourself out there and like my therapist has encouraged me to be more cringe in my uh <laughs> public life like not hold back and then just that kind of thing and i think uh i i took her to heart in that one yeah and then i think my last suggestion which is kind of like a cheat is is the episode we did with Press Start, which is a which is yeah. an episode of their right. podcast, not technically our episode, but yeah, kind of like what you talked about. Of it felt like we were like, oh, we're we're here as girl mode, um, mm-hmm. which was neat. But uh, yeah, yeah. I have a question for you. What okay. do you have any uh, any like goals or hopes for year two of girl mode? Oh my! What God. do you want to do? What do I want to do? I don't know. I feel like this is kind of a like a a cheap answer but i just kind of want to just keep doing what we're doing mostly Mm. i like what we have going i don't know i don't have any like wild aspirations it's not like i'm like oh i want to get huge and i want to you know i want to get sponsored and make money from this (laughs) i just kind of want to like i want to be able to keep doing this as a space to like have my thoughts that aren't just limited to my words which i still Mm -hmm. i absolutely love writing i think of myself as a writer first not a podcaster Mm -hmm. obviously um, please, please read what we write. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I just, I think, you know, we've just gotten better at it. And I feel like in year two, we'll just keep doing this and we'll just get even better. And yeah, I like that. Sorry, yeah. I don't have huge aspirations, I guess. But. No, it's, I mean, I think like when we say we're doing this because we like, doing this like i th- I think we, you know we actually mean that like there is really no uh no part of me and i don't like any part of you that's like oh yeah we can like we should like have a huge audience or whatever it's just like no i just want to keep talking into microphones about about games with you mm-hmm. um i will say my my whether they're like aspirations or goals or hopes or whatever i want i think it would be fun at least one t- at least to try a couple of streams. Oh, it'd yeah. be a fun thing to do. We've talked about this. I think it'd be interesting. And the other thing is, I would like to try to get more guests. Yeah, I that's more than two. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like you know, maybe reach out to some of the people we've already reached out to, and then just like completely didn't mm-hmm. follow up with. Yeah, maybe maybe we try to year. get like one every other month at least. <laughs> yeah. I think that would be good. Um, we needed a year to like make sure that, you know, we weren't going to completely fail, that we can we can speak into microphones and turn that into an episode. Mm-hmm. I think now we can be confident that we can get a third person in on this once in a while and maybe have something to say to them. Yeah. Well, it's exposure therapy, basically, it for definitely us is. talking to people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, um. I think that kind of is it for, you know, talking about the one year anniversary. But yeah, besides that, what have you been up to this week? Yeah. So what I've been up to this week mostly is 
being excited because I'm about to adopt a couple of kittens and that makes me very happy. Very excited to have uh, two deranged little creatures to ruin my apartment. So mostly I've just been like kind of preparing for that, like go, talking to the people at like the foster agency and like spending more money on these cats than I have on myself in the past year, getting stuff ready for them. But as I was doing that, so like last night I was just unpacking a lot of the stuff that I'd bought and like starting to set up, you know, litter boxes and whatever. And I just kind of had movies on in the background as I was doing this. So I, I had like Blade Runner on for a while. Hell and yeah. was rewatching that, which is a movie that I love. Although every time I watch that movie, I forget about the scene where Decker just assaults Rachel, mm-hmm. like in the middle of the movie out of nowhere. And it's so upsetting. And I always like block it out of my mind. And then it gets there again. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. So I don't know. Great movie with one uh, really fucked up part to it. A similar thing with uh, just this morning as I was setting up my cat tree, I was watching the Cowboy Bebop movie and there's one scene in that that's like unbelievably transphobic (laughs) for no reason. They just like literally introduce a trans person to call them a pedophile. It's like very fucked up. But I also, as I was like last night, as I was setting things up, I put on Battle Angel Alita, which is a movie that Willa doesn't like that i like for some reason but i think it's a very good movie i think uh rose salazar does an incredible performance through some of the weirdest cgi in history in this movie and it is inescapably a trans narrative like it's it's such a it is a trans story i saw this movie on a whim uh like well before i was out to myself and it was one of those things that was like hmm this is this is like turning a key somewhere in my brain. Yeah, I don't know. And just watching it again and like kind of reliving that stuff and like putting myself back in that space, I felt a real like appreciation for the things that kind of like stirred all of those feelings in me and an appreciation for the fact that I've gotten to where I am now where I can uh, not just kind of like f- feel this weird jittering in my soul but instead like actually know what it means and have like be liberated by that um so yeah that's the main thing i'm going to shout out is battle angel alita and and actually after i watched it i went back and read uh an article by esther rosenfield which is sort of like as far as i know like sort of the piece that brought the like trans uh, reading of Battle Angel Alita into sort of like the public sphere. Uh, it's called Performance and Selfhood in Alita Battle Angel. I'll, you know, we'll share it, of course. But yeah, it's just a good piece about the the ways that this movie touches on sort of bodily autonomy and the idea of feeling at home in your body and then like whether your body is yours or not and taking steps to make it so that it is. Uh, it's a really, it's a lovely little piece. Um, so yeah, just want to recommend that alongside the movie itself. Uh, But how about you? What have you been up to this week? Yeah. So uh, the first thing I want to shout out is I didn't realize it would be so relevant to our conversation today, which was so Final Fantasy XI focused. But (laughs) uh, there was a really, really good um, article in Paste by Dia Lakina um, titled 20 years ago, Final Fantasy XI messed me up completely, which is (laughs) just this very interesting kind of like personal essay slash slash retrospective on why Final Fantasy XI was so weird and why also it like didn't follow kind of any 
consensus of what an MMO should be kind of because it was just like doing it for the first time in the series and it was how weird but also special it is. I think since we've mentioned Final Fantasy XI so much in this episode, you guys should go read this article. It's really well done. It's incredible. So that's the first thing I want to shout out. Uh, the other thing that I've like actually been doing is I just started reading a new book. Well, new to me, it's not new, but it's called Notes of a Crocodile. Uh, it's this really good book from the 90s. Um, it's about um, this lesbian protagonist in Taiwan who's going to college. And it's about her kind of like weird relationship with this older woman and this collection of queer friends she makes. And it's very like, I very much like it. It's in this almost like a pseudo academic language that's also very, very sardonic. And she is such a girl failure, the protagonist. It's like very much, <laughs> it's very much in the vein of books that I, I do like, um, like Nevada and um, My Year of Rest and Relaxation, where you just have these people mm -hmm. who are you're like, you guys are just failing so hard constantly. But the writing is just so well done. Um, I really, really am loving it. I'm still early into the book, but it's very short, very good. I think it's worth a read. Um, but yeah. Yeah, sounds great. And I think that brings us to the end of our first year of girl mode. Yay. Look at you getting sappy. You thought I was going to be the one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, thank you so much to everyone who wrote in questions, obviously. Uh, lots of great questions. Yeah, it gave us a lot to think about and talk about this episode. And thanks to everyone who's listened and keeps still listening and has ever listened. Yeah, seriously. Uh, thank you to the people who have listened and then also been like, oh, man, this podcast is good. People should listen to it. Sometimes they say smart things. Yeah, for something that we kind of just put out in the world and like made no effort to really tell people about, <laughs> it's it feels really special that anyone has like continued to tune in and um, anyone who's ever expressed any sort of uh, appreciation for it is just um, it's really touching. I, it, it really is uh, to to get sappy. I guess at the end here, it's it's feels really nice to be appreciated for something that is like the creation just of of the two of us. Uh, there's no, you know, we don't have an editor. We don't have anyone like giving us ideas for this. It's just sort of us like creating this weird little, this weird little thing that um, sometimes we're not even sure what it's about. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, just thanks to everyone who's listened. And uh, we hope you stick around and we will try to uh, get better to reward you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but until then, uh, you can, of course, listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us on social media, which we'll link in the description. You can still keep sending us questions at girlmodepod at gmail.com if you want. We'll, we'll find an occasion to answer more questions again. Uh, and you can find me at Robin Bombus. And I'm on socials at The Willow Row. I guess that's uh, it. Thanks again for listening. Yeah, one year. We did it. Yeah. This is wild. wild. See you back here next year. <laughs> Thank you, Robin, for still doing this. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, look at us. Look at us. Look at us now. <laughs>
I think one of the lowest probabilities of crying that I've had in a while. Well, well, it'd be emotional, like happy cry. Right, sure. Did you see me clap that time? I swear to God. Yeah, I did. Okay. Sorry that last last time was weird. Any cough? (coughs) Anytime. Take a sip of water. Mm -hmm. Wet my whistle. What? You never heard that phrase? Don't do that on camera. Wet my whistle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I should get started then. <laughs> Hello. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking about you saying wet my whistle. Yeah. Sorry, don't start yet. No, it's fine. <laughs> I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait it out. I know how this goes. It's <laughs> it's it's never just over. <clears throat> okay. Okay. Just give me a thumbs up when you're ready. <laughs> okay. You look so disappointed in me. No, I just don't want to like it's, look at you. It's just a I totally neutral like... expression, but I'm just here like not able to stop laughing and you're just kind of like looking around. It's just because a very... if I feel like if I look at you, I'm going to make it worse and I don't want to like... It's true. Make it worse. I'm easily startled. Mm-hmm. You have to like slowly blink at me to show that you're not uh, aggressive. Okay. <laughs> Okay. All right. Good to go. Hello and <laughs> welcome to I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I prefer just like chronically depressed Robin. <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, just listen back to the entire last year's worth of podcasts and you'll yeah. you'll change your tune very quickly. <clears throat> oh, my God. Okay. <sighs> okay. <clears throat> All right, I'm ready. I'm a professional. I'm a big girl. Okay. Okay. <sighs> 